Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found the probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. And by FundraiseForYou.net. FundraiseForYou.net provides solutions to coaches and athletic organizations that need to raise money for their programs. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me alongside Chris Shamity's fancy last name. He's a coach, a dad, a philosopher. The man does it all, even snow removal out in L.A. Dude, that's, <laughs> that's, that's tough to do, man. Hey, today's guest on OTV, Fox Sports presenter and former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of his own State of the Union podcast, Alexi Lalas. So it'll be good to catch up with Lex. Uh, he's a busy brother, so I always appreciate him taking time out to uh, come in the pod. So, uh, Chris, do you know, uh, do you know Lexi? You know, I've crossed paths with him a few times, obviously, in the MLS days a little bit. Um, we, tend, we live in the same area here in L.A. And even way back in the day in college, uh, in a spring game, I, we, uh, my team, my college team played against his college team in, in, in the old Rutgers bubble back in the day. The so, yeah, bubble. we've crossed paths a few times through the decades. So you were at Lafayette playing for Jeff Gettler. So you had 11 players just basically parking the bus playing against Rutgers? No. We, uh, we had a few of those games, uh, but uh, in that, yeah, there were some teams that we played where we, we ran more than we wanted to. Uh, Maryland was one, Rutgers was oh, one. Yeah. Uh, and then we had this like nuance in our conference where we had Army and Navy in our conference. And mm-hmm. if, if the roulette wheel went the wrong way, you had to play them early in the season. And that happened to us a few times. And, and you, get, you get really run into the ground because all those guys have been through like, their, their summer fitness with the military. And we're coming right. off of uh, a two-week preseason, so that was suffering. Yeah, where you're smoking pot and drinking beer on preseason. No, no, not the, not the Army guys. Um, I will say this, though. So you, you, uh, so you played against Lex a little bit. Do you ever have a run-in with him, 50-50 ball or anything? Knock him on his ass? I mean, I remember he was tall and he had the <laughs> hair going. And yeah. at one point, there was, a, there was a play where I always kind of tell my kids this when he's on TV. I say, see that guy? See that guy? Yeah, he kicked me in the stomach. And they're like, what do you mean? And then I give him the version of he followed through on a ball and I got caught in the wrong spot. And I was a, I was a shorter guy and he was a bigger guy and I got the boot to the gut. So uh, it is. I'm sure what did he I'm do? Sure it's, I'm sure it's what did a player to remember. Did he offer you a hand up or uh, just go, go screw yourself? No, it was a Nothing. more go screw yourself thing. Yeah. yeah. I just well, moved I you, on. I think I was maybe, I don't know, I quit playing and like, I don't know. Uh, but I was still pretty fit. I was playing with the national team. I was getting to knock it around with them. Bora would pull me in sometimes during the 94 preparations. And, um, you know, it was a blast. But one thing I will say was whenever there was a, a ball in the air, man, there was like he, that dude got up. And he yeah. went up big and he went up strong. You know, it was uh, so that's a perfect center back for you. So anyway, uh, a lot going on with him. I know he was at Charlotte at that big opening. He's had some uh, back and forth with Carly Lloyd. We'll talk about the U.S. Men's National Team. Lots of stuff to talk to Lex about. He's always a great interview, which would be why he's on television, I would imagine. So um, as far as the U.S. Men's National Team, Chris, I'm getting a little concerned here. It's uh, two weeks. The U.S. will you know, head back into camp for their final three games. If they do not qualify, what will we fucking do? I have no idea. Um, things look okay, but uh, little. you want the good news or bad news first, Chris? I want the good news. 
All right. The good news is Pulisic's playing uh, pretty well. Um, I mean, he only started in four of those 11 qualifiers so far, but he's in great form at Chelsea right now. So that's good. Um, and Sergino Dest, whose future was kind of up in the air at, at Barca, looks like uh, Xavi's digging him now. He's playing. He's getting some, some, um, some good playing time. So that's the good news. But there's unfortunately a lot Wait, of bad news. Wait, can I ask? Can I ask? Yeah, yeah. What, what's the bad news? It's coming up right now. Great. That's I wanted to ask. That's how it works. It's so a good news, bad news. Uh, bad news, a lot of injuries. I think the key player to that whole U.S. men's national team, their inspirational leader, really their leader, if he didn't screw up a little bit earlier in the year, he would definitely be wearing that uh, captain's armband. But Weston McKinney, um, I mean, he's, he's out for the season at Juventus. Uh, and everybody's kind of keeping an eye on them. And people saw him with a boot on the other day. So that's scary because, boy, he does so much, Chris. That's the type of player you just love to have. It's like having a coach on the field. Um, he, he's kind of uh, leading by example, getting stuck in, playing good balls, scoring goals, uh, keeping the peace out there, standing up for his teammates when he needs to. He does everything that a, a true leader should, should be. So I think that's a, a huge loss. Not only that – so Matt Turner is hurt. I don't worry about goalkeeping so much because we're pretty deep goalkeeping-wise. But uh, Matt Turner, I mean, he hurt. he's out with a foot injury. Zach Steffen, uh, he's also injury, injured. Um, so Chris Richards was hurt against Canada. He still ha- isn't playing. Um, who else? We got Tyler Adams. That's, that's another one. So McKenney and Adams, I just think, solidified that back. Um, he got hurt against Canada as well in that ice bowl that they were up against. And um, so he's... He's uh, has not played much recently for Leipzig. And then you have Timothy Weah, who's hurt. So geez, what do you do as a coach there, Chris, with all those players? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, you're right. The good news is Pulisic gets another goal this weekend for Chelsea. And somehow Dest has gotten some traction back with Xavi in Barcelona. And so, you know, he's yeah. getting some minutes. So those are obviously the positives. But, yeah, watching the LAFC game last night, uh, Weston McKinney was at the game. And he was there in his crutches, and they, they, you know, the photographers were were taking their their, their photos uh, of him room. prior yeah. to the game. And then to add to the list, I don't know if you caught it, but like at the very very end of the LAFC game, Kellen Acosta kind of took a took a hit, and I'm not, you know, kind of limped off there in the final few minutes. So I, it didn't seem like it's so bad, but the growing list is. Uh, is getting worse. And, you know, I, I've kind of been bouncing these games off some soccer fans that I know just to kind of get some input and yeah. how do you feel? How do you feel? And, and everyone is echoing this uh, concern that you're saying. And the more that they know, like I, I kind of pepper them about, you know, what their knowledge is a little bit informally. And I have found that the, the theme is that the more they know, the more they're concerned. And so uh, it's like, uh, yeah. yeah, it is for all of us because Mexico and Mexico, you can't expect points. Panama is motivated. And then Costa Rica is either going to be playing for their own livelihood or they would love to ruin our U.S. dream. So right. it's, it's a right. tough situation. Which is what happened with TNT, you know, back when we didn't qualify last time. So it's, it is, it's very nervy. And we have more depth than we've ever had. But, um, you know, you, you like to stick with your, your guys that get you there to the dance and, and um, you know, I'm worried. I'm really worried. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think uh, um, Burhalter's got some players that he can pull in, but you know, you want guys who have been here in the qualifying process so far. So, uh, and Pulisic's not that type of player, you know, I mean, I think he tried to take, put the team on his back a little bit 
and that just didn't work out well. I mean, he's a, he's a streak player and, uh, you know, great player. It's just that McKenney's, McKenney's the kind of guy who can, can put the team on his back and say, guys, let's, do, let's go. I'm going to carry this in the center of the pitch. And Tyler yeah, Adams, that's nervy too. Yeah, that Weston McKinney is just – it's a big personality. There's a mm-hmm. swagger there, and, and we've kind of – I don't know if we realized it, but now that he's not available, you're like, oh, boy, we were kind of leaning on that, weren't we? So that was helping us because Pulisic doesn't bring that kind of a quality to the table. Right, he has other right. qualities, and, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I think as a group we leaned on. And then Tyler Adams has been a captain type of a player, you know? Right. So if you're missing him and Weston, that's two out of the three in that MMA midfield, you know? Uh, and then the, the, the third guy is, is the guy who's been around the least, you know? So it's, Musa. it's, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation for, for this round of qualifying. And we have missed X number Olympics in a row. Is it three? And now looking at two world cups in world a row. I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. That would be, be tragedy, be a national tragedy. And I think especially we, you know, we lost some points in, in the buildup here that we should have had, I think, too, yeah. as well. And Canada's tough. And Mexico's Mexico, man. So, uh, yeah, the, the race is still on. You know, It's almost like uh, like you're saying, even if a team's not going to make it, they're still motivated. Uh, you know, with, with Trinidad-Tobago, what they did was they put all the young players in. And as soon as I heard that in the last qualifying round, I was like, oh, that's trouble. Because the veterans at least kind of give up and say, ah, screw it, I've already done it. But the young guys are desperate to show what they can do. Uh, even though they're not going to qualify for the World Cup, and that's my biggest concern right now. So uh, yeah, the motivation to to it's you know there are going to be some throwaway games in the last round, but if you have a chance to to remove the U.S. from qualifying, I mean the U.S. Uh, is is the big one, right? So yeah. taking us down also brings them points. But then there's also the practicality that when you're playing against the U.S., you know that all of the MLS eyes are on you. GMs are watching, scouts are watching. So you're on showcase. So, you know, whether that game means a lot or a little to your country in that particular round, you're still showcasing yourself as as a pro and and a chance to get a a contract in MLS, which is very much desired. Well, you know, MLS has been great for the United States uh, as far as our players are concerned because there's somewhere to go in the development uh, process. And we can see this now in the national team, so many more players. But the downside is that within our region, in CONCACAF, I mean, uh, these other players are coming here to play from Costa Rica, from El Salvador, you know, from Panama, and they're playing yeah. in, a, in our domestic league, and, and they're improving, which I think is great, you know, for the game and everything else like that. But, yeah, makes it tougher. Tougher to, tougher yeah. to qualify. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's a gap in the, in, in the, in the countries that, that has gotten smaller and smaller. Um, and, and that, I mean, even watching games this weekend, it's, it's all relative, right? Like the Manchester Derby, for example, it's like you have city yeah. against United and that was the big topic. There is the gap between those two teams. I mean, two premier teams and, and yet there's, it's men against boys in certain ways. It's mind boggling. Right. Well, you got two teams in the premier league. We'll talk about that a little bit, you know, but basically our men among boys and that's Liverpool and Manchester, Manchester city. Uh, I thought, man, United came out working hard. Uh, they gave up a, a tough early goal and that you know, their heads dropped a little bit, especially after the second goal. So, cause they came back with one um, to go back to the U S mentioned national team. One, one more thing I just wanted to say, what also concerns me is Timothy Weah, who I wasn't, I didn't think was ready really, but really kind of showed me something this last qualifying round, um, put some points on the board, speed kills, dangerous on the outside, uh, makes things happen. Um, so that's a big loss as well, offensively. So, um, yeah, he's dynamic athletically, and he can be dangerous. And his pace opens up the game if it's exactly what Greg likes. So he's an important piece to that team. Uh, we've had 
other conversations before, which is how does he blend in with Pulisic and, and the other attacking options and, and all that stuff. And, and sometimes I think when Dest is coming out, let's say down the right, I think Wea gets tucked in inside a little bit too much and, and, yeah. and some of his assets go away. So that becomes a little tricky in terms of the efficiency of how they use him. And he's been a little bit too much inside out recently. Um, isn't, but, isn't that same criticism of Pulisic though as well? Sometimes people... Yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, he can get lost in the game, you know, where he's not getting enough touches in certain situations. With, with Weya, it's more like just his pace alone brings value. Pulisic, yeah. you want him on the ball as much as you can. Weya, you want him finding him on the run as much as you can in important spots. Pulisic, you can find him on the run or to feed. He's, he's more of an all-around footballer. But Weya's yeah. um, his, 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 his speed and his pace and his power is really valuable for how Greg likes to be in transition, to press, all these kinds of things. That super fits. Nice, nice. Okay, and, then, and so to go back to the Premier League now, uh, really, it's a fun, fun, you know, because it hasn't been a race the last couple of years. So I think it's the six points that Man City is up over Liverpool, but Liverpool has a game in hand, and then they play each other in April. So, um, so it's fun. And Liverpool, yeah. could, you know, like you said last week, could be up for four titles. Yeah, Liverpool, I mean, if you look at it, you, you never want to say there are certain games are easier than others. But in reality, City's got a pretty good walk through this next month, but they have Liverpool, and it's in Manchester. Okay, uh, Liverpool has Arsenal and City at City. So there's a lot there, but, you know, City's in the driver's seat and they have some control here. And if they can keep their head above water and they're really good at not dropping points when they shouldn't. Their style of play is, is dominant, especially against mediocre to inferior opponents. I think it gets a little dodgier when they have to play high-end Champions League games or playing Liverpool. They could for sure win all of them, you know, but they haven't. They haven't won a Champions League. And so if they need to rattle off the Crystal Palaces of the world and the Wolves of the world, they can and not drop points. And that's where I think Liverpool, probably if they're being honest, they're realizing their margins are small here. Right, right. I know Emlyn, you know, and then Man City, they'll go – when they lose a game, they go on like a 13-game tear you know, after that. So they uh, sort of, they get re-motivated at that point. Um, hey, I wanted to ask you about this real quick. Hector Herrera, the uh, Mexican national midfielder, um, Houston Dynamo have signed him. What do you think of that? He's 31 years old, free agents, ending up at Atletico Madrid. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, I, I, okay, you can argue that he's a little bit older, but I don't think so. I mean, he's still mobile. He's still important for Mexico. He's still, he's been a thorn in our side in this region for so many years. He's one of those yeah. players that when you watch him, you're like, oh man, I hate that dude, but I wish he was on my team. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Like, you know, and so that's probably the ultimate sign of respect is like, man, I think I hate him more than normal, which means I probably like him. You know what I mean? He's really a good player. So I think he's going to do, Houston's a great market, you know, for, for, uh, for his signing. And uh, that's a team that really is turning over a new leaf with a new coach and a new GM. And I think it's a really important signing for their next chapter. Isn't Hector Herrera the one that had Weston McKinney by the throat and he wasn't even given a card or something? There's a big picture of him. I think that's yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's been a few throats uh, in yeah, the last few rounds of games that somehow don't get seen, I guess, if the it's bar amazing. is so high. Yeah. CONCACAF yeah. referee. We can talk to Lexi about that, I'm sure. So, uh, uh, all right, let's take a break here. Um, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk to Fox Sports Lexi Lalas, Gigante Rojo. You're listening to Over the Ball. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, uh, you know him, you love him, former U.S. Men's National Team defender. He covers the game for Fox Sports quite, uh, quite well. 
that uh, makes sense English-wise? I'm not sure. And also his uh, State of the Union podcast, Lexi Lawless. Welcome back to Over the Ball, brother. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. I'm uh, coming to you from a uh, parking lot somewhere in uh, Los Angeles here. So I uh, hope everything goes well. But it's a pleasure to speak to you, as always. Well, every CVS parking lot has people living in their cars, so I hope people don't think that's you, man. <laughs> it's L.A. They come here for the good weather, and then they stay for the CVS parking lot. Exactly. So, I'm, that, I'm that jerk that's not buying anything in CVS, but I'm taking up a parking place. Man, uh, man. That's all right. In L.A., it's, it's better than New York City where you can't park anywhere. Um, Chris, do you know Alexi Lawless? We have a new uh, co-host here. We've, on, on yeah, the we've Lex. informally, we've crossed paths just through the game, through the years. You know, I was at Lafayette, he was at Rutgers at the same time, and then a little bit of crossover in MLS, and we live in the same areas in L.A. So, yeah, we've crossed paths a few times. Right. Did you date the same women? That's what I want to know. That's what the <laughs> soccer player question is. <laughs> that's, that's already assuming that any of them would date me. So Exactly, in college. Uh, so, Oh, you're at the Rutgers bubble. Chris told us the story before you got on, Lex, that uh, you were in a scrimmage and you, you kicked him in the stomach. It was accidental, but uh, you, yeah. you moved on. You moved on. Yeah, get in, line. get in line. Get in line. If you're, yeah, if you're a exactly. center back and you're not kicking people in the stomach, you're going to sit on the bench. That's, that's what Well, that's happens. the problem with, like, you know, I'm like five foot six and three quarters. So I'm either getting my nose broken, which has been three times with someone's elbow, or someone's fall through is kicking me in the stomach. So I get it both ways. It's the worst height to be. Oh, Lex, listen to him. He's doing the small man thing. Come on. Yeah. Play, play big, brother. Play big. Play big. Be play big. big. <laughs> hey, so, um, Lex, I, checked out your, I was checking out your um, State of the Union vodcast because it was video. You had it on, on video. Um, and you are just in all red, white, and blue. You look like you're one of those truckers heading to a Trump rally. It's unbelievable. Oh, hey, I'm celebrating the greatest country in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Very, very fortunate to live in it, fortunate to work in it. And, uh, you know, looking at... Uh, at soccer, through the, the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses, we like to say. And there's so much to talk about on and off the field. So we're having a good time. I know. I love it. I love this stuff. So, um, you know, the one thing that we've been talking about this, this past week, uh, this game, more than any other game uh, in the world, so, yeah, sports can change the world. And I think soccer is the one that can do it. And so we saw some of that this week. Uh, FIFA banned yeah. Russia. I kind of pushed back on you a little bit on Twitter. You said, don't, don't hurt the players. But I feel like in this situation, uh, you know, Russia's invaded a, a country, a, a democracy, a free country, and, and everybody has to pay the price, including the players, unfortunately. What are your thoughts on that, Lex? Yeah, I get it. I understand what people are saying. I also, yeah. in the same breath, uh, you know, when people celebrate those moments that are you know, cutting through all the clutter out there on the sports field when, uh, you know, a, a Russian athlete, uh, you know, writes in a marker on the, on the uh, you know, the, uh, the tennis player does that stuff. So we're also taking away that, uh, that platform, that potential platform uh, to do some things that can resonate through the world. And I get it. I mean, listen, there are, um, there are consequences uh, intended and not, and there are, um, you know, victims uh, in all of this stuff. It sucks. It's, it's just a, it's yeah. a horrible, horrible scene. And, you know, you can't do anything uh, necessarily from thousands and thousands of miles away other than donate and, uh, you know, be understanding and hope for uh, a, a, uh, a quick and, um, you know, safe return to whatever that new normal is going to be. Mm -hmm. But it's yeah. not good. 
Well, I was happy FIFA at least just stepped up because FIFA, I have not, you know, none of us have been happy with over the last decade um, some of the things that the, they've done or haven't done. Um, yeah, so it yeah, was yeah. Nice I mean, look, it's, it's to, to your point that it's, it's the global game. It has incredible power. I mean, FIFA as an entity is one of the strongest uh, entities in the world and rivals yeah. many other the countries in terms of the power and the leverage that they have. And so if they can do some things to put pressure to bring about uh, the change that needs to happen and keep people safe and get us back to where we need uh, need to go, uh, you know, that's fine. And I, I, people and uh, and I can agree and I can understand the the concept of every little bit helps out there. But uh, it's also interesting in terms of how we pick and choose what those little bits are. That's true. That's a, that's it could be a whole other story there, Chris. Yeah, that you know, it's interesting in the Olympics when the uh, I wonder what you guys think about this, right? How the the Olympic Committee allowed the Russian athletes to compete right separately like mm -hmm. they yeah i forget what they call the their their flag and for lack of a better term but i wonder if fifa will allow that like can to lexi's point can those athletes not be punished can they play can these guys go out there and play but perhaps not under the russian flag has there been talk of that can we get that done i mean uh, they, they, they could probably do some of that uh, that kind of stuff and look you know fifa has like like any uh, big entity out there has rules and regulations and bylaws and uh, and restrictions and all that. And, you know, and the IOC is, is, is no different. And, you know, from a FIFA perspective, oftentimes we have seen um, national teams uh, and countries banned because of interference. When the government interferes with the sport, you know, they want to make sure that they are separate, which is absolutely the right way to go going forward. Because to your point, the, the power of this game makes it incredibly attractive, especially to governments and or individuals out there to want to harness that power and use it to, uh, to you know, to some effect, whether it's uh, positive on what they're guarding against is really the negative effect out there. So I, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't think everyone's going to, you know, lose sleep that Russia isn't involved in, uh, in, in, uh, in the World Cup, if that being the case as we go, uh, go down here. But yeah. yeah, I mean, there's certainly precedent when it comes to all, all the different sports right now. And you're bringing all that you can to bear in order to possibly change it and possibly convince people and put that pressure that's going to change it for the better. Now, I got to say, I was, I was, you know, so I pushed back on you a little bit on Twitter. And I got to give you some credit, Lex. Uh, you take more shit on Twitter than anybody <laughs> I know. And you suffer so well with it. You just kind of take it and laugh. And, and I, it's a wonderful way to be in life. I think, you know, for me as a stand-up comic, if I get heckled on stage, at least I can come back at the people. You know, you, you got to just think of a nice, thoughtful response and like, yep, throw it at me. Sling it to me. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a lot of fun. You yeah, kind of enjoy that, don't you? Yes, I do. I mean, look, you, you have to kind of have that in you. And, and you know, I, I, I certainly have that kind of punk ethos of, uh, you know, I'd rather you spit at me than ignore me or anything like that. But, you know, you, you got to have a thick skin in this business, as you know, whether yeah. you're you know on stage or whether you're in, uh, in front of a camera or anything like that, because the slings and arrows are going to come. And especially nowadays, as you know, where everybody has a platform, everybody has a microphone mm -hmm. and everybody uh, uses it. And you just got to be careful and I, you know, I worry about this next generation that is coming up living uh, day to day in this type of environment that you, you yeah. put too much stock and you use it as a focus group and you really you can't you can't do that and I look at Twitter you know one is an informational gathering source and even then you got to be really really careful when it comes to that two there's a there's an element of entertainment that that I don't deny and in, in a it's almost a video game at times for me in the mm -hmm. in the back and forth uh, that we do and three, I think from a social perspective, you know, I enjoy the interaction. I enjoy the contact. One of the, one of the biggest 
losses over the last couple of years for, for many people, including myself, was that that contact that we got that I, that, that I got from traveling around because that was completely taken away because we weren't going anywhere and, you know, yeah. sitting in bars and, and arguing about different things. And I know it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's not even close to the same thing, but I enjoy getting into it. And I, I if you don't have to agree with me on everything. As a matter of fact, we have some interesting conversations when people don't, of course, the rise of, of trolling and disagreeing just to disagreeing uh, or just to get a rise out of people is, is there. But, all in all, everybody is pretty cool. And if we can be respectful and civil, even even on Twitter where the anonymity provides you incredible cover um, and people will do and say things that they wouldn't normally do in that right. and social setting, it, it, it's okay. I still see uh, I still see some value. But, um, you know, it's this is a brave new world in which we live in and certainly this next generation is coming up. In. Well, it's twofold too, Lex, because we remember as soccer players when, you know, very few people cared about the game in so many ways. And so it, <laughs> yeah. it is nice to see now everybody's getting fired up. But what I always laugh at is just, you know, as a, if anybody that kind of knows the game, some of the comments that are made, you're like, oh my God, how, how long have you been following this game? For three minutes? It's, you know, <laughs> it's pretty cool as shit. But I guess everybody has an opinion. They're like assholes. I guess everybody has one. Right. Chris, exactly. Chris, Chris you want to jump in on that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, the Twitter thing is funny because, you know, when, when at the beginning, when I first saw some of your tweets, I was like, what is he doing? Because he's like opening up the door by saying things like, how may I enlighten you? And all these kinds of things. And after the first few rounds of it, I just I saw that obviously the humor in it. And if you have the tough skin to filter through it, we actually get to some really good banter. And I appreciate it because, you know, having more, you know, sometimes we can be too serious about the game. And just having mm -hmm. some fun with it and having some exchanges, it's a great platform for that, as are these podcasts. So I admire what you're doing in that regard. It's fun to watch. Well, well you guys also know that the platforms are few and far between over the years. And, and we certainly are not a mainstream sport when it comes to, you know, especially some of the, the television and radio that kind of uh, dictates a lot of what happens when it comes to sport. And so we've had to make our own. I mean, look, you can go back to fanzines or – um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the blogs and big soccer and all that kind of stuff. We've had yeah. to create these environments where we can discuss it. And it's kind of, as, as soccer has grown, it's that phenomenon of, you know, when you see a band and it's yours from the start and you saw it in a little club and then it gets bigger and bigger and more people come in, there is a, a, an element of, of, of jealousy and resentment as to everybody comes in. It comes in. We, we really got to guard against that. We have to be as inclusive as possible. I mean, even when everybody and their mother and my mother, for that matter, uh, gets crazy when, when Greg Berhalter not just names the 11 that are playing, but when, even when he main, names the players that are just coming into a camp. For example, we have this window coming up here that's going to decide everything. When that yeah. first roster comes out, everybody loses their minds about, why didn't you call this guy? That to me is great that people are even participating. It also says that we got a lot more talent out there and depth that people are talking about. And then the 11, oh my God, how did you not play this? And yes, there, right. there's a forum right now that exists out there, but we need more of that. I mean, we're, we're pretty good at finding those different ways to, to talk about soccer. And maybe that's just who we are as American soccer people is that through thick and thin, we find a way to get to that discussion and the, the, the debate. And we never want to be exclusive and make people feel dumb or not welcome into that tent of soccer because that is a that is a kiss of death for a sport that still has a long way to go. Yeah, especially when you're trying yeah trying to grow the demographic. So uh, yep. those are the, the people we need. So hey, uh, before you got on, we were talking about the U.S. men's national team getting a little concerned to the the amount of injuries, especially to Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams. Those are two guys uh, 
you know, I think, you know, Weston McKinney's their inspirational leader for sure. Um, big loss. What, what are you thinking? How are you feeling about things coming up with qualifying? I mean, so, you know, Weston is a big loss because he was not just, I think, the, the best player in terms of the way he is playing right now for the national team, uh, but even for Juventus right now, you could argue he was their best player. And it sucks, but, you know, he, he'll get better. We saw him last night actually here in Los Angeles at the LAFC game on crutches. So he's here in L.A. Uh, rehabbing, doing whatever he's doing. So just take the time get to the summer, have a good preseason with Juventus and knock on wood here in this next window, his buddies finish off the deal. But the interesting thing is, and I guess the irony is that after that incredible epic failure of not qualifying for the last men's world cup, we kind of find ourselves right back where we started this window where it can go, it can go any different, different way. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's that pressure filled time. And this ultimately was what Greg Berhalter was hired to do. Uh, at least in the initial part, is to get us to the World Cup. And he's got this window. It's all in his, in his hands. Yes, it's not easy. You've got to go to Mexico, and it's never easy going there. And you also have to go to Costa Rica, and we've had, we haven't had a great uh, success there, uh, even, even with right. this Costa Rica team, which isn't great. And then, obviously, you have to beat Panama in Orlando, which, by the way, you can see on Fox. So we'll be down there doing uh, that game. So I'm, I'm real excited about this window. I am, uh, I am optimistic. I'm not even cautiously optimistic. I am optimistic. I believe in, uh, in this team and in Greg Berhalter to finally get the job done one way or the other, and then uh, we'll be up to the car. Yeah, good stuff. I'm nervous too, but um, yeah, cautiously optimistic. I would say I am um, I'm optimistic, but I mean, it, uh, you know, such ups and downs. And, you know, I think you talked about it on air as well, Lax, a little bit about we, we lost some points early on that we could have had and been in a yeah. better position. And then who knew Canada would become so strong so quickly? It's been pretty it, it, it's, been fun I mean, to watch. Look, it's great, actually. And if, yeah. if I take off my American hat, and I hope it's not certainly at the expense of, of the U.S. going, but I mean, I don't know about you guys, but... I remember back in 1986 watching the World Cup, and obviously we didn't have a U.S. team there. Canada was my team. Growing up in Detroit with our proximity to Canada, I mean, I, I felt a, an affinity to that, that country, and so I would watch this Canadian team because that was the closest that I was going to get to an American kind of playing in, uh, in the World Cup. And it's a, if you would ask me back then when I was at the Pikes Peak Invitational in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado during that summer playing with my under-16 travel team, as we set up the, the TV in the lobby of the Holiday Inn, if you had asked at that point uh, the, uh, and told me that, uh, that, that Canada wasn't going to qualify for another World Cup until 2022, I would have laughed at you. And it's amazing the different and convergent types of paths that we took uh, relative to the U.S. from then on because we obviously qualified for 1990 and then kicked on yeah. from there. Chris? Yeah, Alex, what are your thoughts on this last round now? Obviously, it's, it's different with the format with the three games in a shorter window of time. And now we've taken some of these hits with Weston and a few of the others. Like, what, what do you, who do you think are the guys in this pool that are going to probably need to step in and carry a lot of this water here during these last final games? Well, I mean, look, we always turn to Christian. And, I mean, the good part is he's starting and playing well. Um, right. I also think the, the interesting thing is, and maybe the important thing is, is he's kind of recognized that he, he puts pressure on himself and in the different type of circumstances that the national team is relative to Chelsea. I hope he understands, and I'm sure Greg Berhalter has, has made this very, very clear since he came out and started talking about this, that I, I don't need him to be the best player on the field. I just need him to be consistent. And there's plenty of talent around him. Let's be honest, for a, for a long time now, his, his friends, his colleagues, his uh, teammates have been carrying him uh, because he's just been trying to do too much. 
So I just want him to come in, be consistent out there on that wing, beat people, uh, get past people, and do the things that he loves loves to do. And don't feel that you have to star, score every single goal, and be carrying this team going forward. So that's the one thing uh, that that we're going to have to look at. The Gio Reyna situation is going to be interesting because while we all kind of have him as a starter when he's healthy, he's still not healthy. So how do you use him? A bigger picture thing would be, do you – how much energy do you expend on that first game in Mexico, given that you are playing against Mexico? And is it at the expense of anything that's going to happen in that second game? For instance, yellow cards that exist or players that, uh, that aren't quite at full form. Uh, I, you know, I, don't, I think it's hard to, to measure that and gauge that. I think you just put the best team out there and let the chips fall, uh, fall where they may. But obviously, if you're, if you're looking at and targeting one of these games, you make sure and you have to have that three points uh, against Panama in Orlando. Um, let's see. Uh, bump, 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 bump. Uh, other other people, you know, you mentioned the Weston McKinney gone, so who's going to step into that midfield? Is it a, is it a Kellen Acosta comes in, a Luca Della Torre? I know that Greg Berhalter was actually at the uh, the Norwich game, uh, uh, was it yesterday or wherever? So he's continuing to look at a guy like Josh Sargent, but Josh Sargent isn't really playing that number nine position. And by the way, neither is Ricardo Pepe. He's not playing a whole lot. Right. So who's going to show up in that number nine position up top? Uh, and uh, Josh Sargent is playing like in a 4-4-2 on the kind of right-hand side wing. So that's great that he's playing and kind of playing better, but he's not playing the position that we initially intended. So he's got a lot of questions here, but I think the, the talent will win out. If we do have all of this depth and talent, that it should be able to show in these three games and they should get it done. Chris? Yeah, I, I, it's yeah. funny you say that because last night I know you worked the LAFC game. I don't know if you saw it at the very end, Kellen Acosta kind of limped off there at the end. So hopefully that's – Less than more. Um, but I wanted to ask you about you playing, obviously, center back, you know, looking at our pool of center backs and, and, and not only doing the job defensively, but, you know, I, I always appreciate how much you emphasize set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. So <laughs> looking at that, um, how do you, which of the guys in this pool do you think could help us on attacking set pieces and still be a stalwart in the back for us in this final round? Well, we all know that you're only as good as the service, right, on the set piece, So, which is why I, why I think it's good for you to bring up that Acosta thing. And, yeah, it, it, I don't know what it was ultimately in the game yesterday, but we all kind of held our breaths because he, he's not only potentially in line to start uh, in, in one of those mid-three positions, but also yeah. we saw how good he was in, in, in putting the ball in dangerous places. And now, now Wes McKinney's not there who was on the end of it, but – you know, you still got people uh, coming up from the back, like a Walker Zimmerman, who I think is going to be really, really important uh, going uh, going forward. And you know, this, the the set piece, uh, you know, part of it, and uh, you know, Miles Robinson, which I think is the tandem right now, which is interesting because if you had asked us, I don't know, six or six months or a year ago, it, it would have been Brooks, right? Um, right. <laughs> and you know, he's just you know, for whatever reason, he's fallen out of favor with uh, uh, with with Greg Berhalter right now. He. Uh, you know, he might come back, but I wouldn't hold my breath when it comes to that. I think that the group that we are looking right here with the addition of maybe, um, well, not maybe, but Gio Reyna, uh, if he's healthy, and then yeah. maybe a Josh Sargent or something like that. I think ultimately that's the group that they want. And there's a, there is absolutely a young and for the most part inexperience that they're building on. I don't think necessarily a, that's a that's a bad thing, but, you know, in this talk of, you know, potentially Josie Altador if you were to go on a run and getting put back in. I just, you guys know, teams are about dynamics, right? And mm-hmm. if you start messing with it, it can go south very, very quickly. And um, I, I, so I think Greg Berhalter just really has to be careful going down the stretch of saying, well, this guy's 
good, you know, and, and playing well here. So therefore I need him and he should be with the team. You know, you, as in, in this particular team, because of its youth and because of its inexperience, um, you really got to be careful what, uh, what, what you do and what you, uh, what you don't do there. But you know me and, and, and set pieces, they can be the great equalizer. Uh, they are like, uh, you know, water uh, in that you need it to survive, but it can kill you and uh, right. ignore it at your own peril. Um, I'm a big Walker Zimmerman fan too. I think he's really, you know, played really strong during this qualifying period, but uh, you know, he reminds me, he likes a little bit of the old time sort of center back. Yeah. He's not losing balls in the air. He's moving forward. He's able to distribute coming out of the back. He seems very confident. He's physical. Um, you know, so uh, that that's, he's, I think he solidified himself in that position. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. He's a starter. And, and yeah. what I think we, what I think we see in him is, you know, as this team has progressed, we, we, we want to avoid, you know, throwing the baby out the bathwater. And there, there is this, I think we talked about this before on the show, there is this Americanness that um, we, we, we can't necessarily, you know, use words to describe it, but we know it when we see it. And I think Walker kind of epitomizes that. Right. I also think part of that personality is knowing what you're good at and being really good at that, but also knowing what you're not good at and, you know, and, and guarding against that. And whether it's, you know, he's not the fleetest of foot, but I mean, he gobbles up everything in the air. He is a leader. He uh, makes plays one-on-one, uh, even though it's a, it might be a little bit of a foot race here or there. He doesn't put himself in dangerous positions. And that's, a, that's a, as, as much as maximizing what you are good at, also recognizing what you're not good at and limiting the opportunities and, uh, and the moments when you are exposed like that is a, a skill and a trait and a quality that not every player possesses. You know, Lex, talk a little bit about the environment that these guys are going to find themselves in because, uh, you know, you've played down there in, in South and Central America and what you kind of go through. I mean, we have a game in Orlando, but um, th- these guys seem to have gotten a little bit of experience in this last round, but w- what can they expect going down there? Tell, tell people who have never been a part of that, uh, which <laughs> just about everybody, uh, what, is, what it's like. Well, look, I mean, qualifying out of CONCACAF takes you down to some very, very interesting places. And oftentimes you are playing against um, not just teams that sometimes are better than you, if you're talking about your Mexico's and at times in the past it's been Mm -hmm. Costa Rica's, but certainly on par with you. Um, But you're also facing cultures, right? And especially when the, the, the U.S. culture is so dominant in everything except soccer, this is oftentimes that moment when they get, at the very least, two hours where they get to stomp all over the Americans. And that mm-hmm. manifests in so many different ways from the moment that you touch down on the tarmac to the moment that you leave. They make it difficult for you. And whether it's, um, you know, the, 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 the projectiles that are coming out of the stands yeah. and, the, and the batteries and the screws and the urine and all that kind of, all those different stories, whether it's the heat, whether it's the smog, whether it's the altitude, whether it's, um, you know, the... Uh, Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome type of environment that old Saprissa Stadium was. And then oftentimes you're playing against very, very good teams. And, and by the way, in the modern day, not necessarily when I was playing, but in the modern day, MLS has actually been the, the, uh, the architects at times of their own destruction by giving opportunities to a lot of these players that then populate the national teams, which make them that much better. I mean, the, the Canadian right. national team right now owes, owes a lot to what Major League Soccer has brought in terms of the development of their, uh, of their talent out there. And that's all, those are all good things, but it's, it's difficult. It's always going to be difficult. And to try to 
ma manufacture it and it, it's it's next to impossible to train on it. it's just something that you have to go through and these kids and i call them kids but they they've been through some of this stuff already so um i, I think the i think that they'll be okay going down to azteca to play against mexico i think they'll be okay going down to uh, costa rica and keep in mind that the azteca situation uh, you know, could have uh, less fans, whether it's the COVID or the, you know, the horrible events over the last couple of days that yeah. we saw down there in Queretaro. We don't know how that is going to play out going forward when it comes to Mexican soccer and or the national team and any types of, of sanctions either imposed from the outside or imposed from the inside. So this is a, uh, you know, this is a fluid type of situation. But no matter yeah. what, when that whistle blows, it's difficult. And like you, do, when you talk about the environment as well. I, I got hit by a battery in the head down in Mexico and I turned to, you know, I was sweeping and when there was a sweeper and I said, man, what could be worse than getting hit in the head with a battery? And, I, and then I got hit in the head with a bag of urine. I was like, okay, that would be, <laughs> that would be worse. Yeah, there it is. Right, right? There you go. There, 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 I, the question asked and, and answered. So, uh, so there it is. Chris, did you want to follow up? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what, one of the things that Lexi said here that I find interesting, and it's kind of an open question, is is w w when he says Americanness, like you know, the Americanness to our national team. It's the, the Americanness, and Kev, you've said this recently. It's it's almost like Canada is playing now the way we all used to play in certain yep. ways. Um, but now Greg is 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 trying to play. You know, there's positional play, there's possession soccer, there's all these other aspects to it that he's trying to evolve our program, but when these last three games now and the rubber hits the road, if you know what I'm saying, and, and it gets tight, you know, it, there's going to be a point where we're pinned in, when we're going to have to be good defensively, when set pieces are going to become uber important. And this is why I'm asking those questions. Cause I think we're going to need to, it's fine that we go down this road that Greg is kind of paving for us. And, and it truly is, is part of our evolution. And that's great, but we're going to have to be able to circle the wagons and still do the other stuff. Well, that Americanness, if you will, you know, where we are very, very tough defensively and are willing to be pinned in our half for a while and then to break out at the right times and to be great on restarts. Like we're going to need that. And, and my question to you, Lexi, is do you think we have we gone so far off in this new evolution that we've lost touch of that? Or do we can we have that balance? Because I think to be great, we have to have that balance. Yeah, I mean, I think you've, you've hit it on the head because. You know, in our in our effort to evolve, and as I said before, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it, it is limiting as to what we can do. And yet it's in, in a day and age where we talk so much about identity, um, it was actually our identity. And yet I think Greg Berhalter yeah. will be the first person to say, OK, but we need to we need to grow. We need to progress. We need to evolve. I will say this, though. The, the irony of that is that let's if we just look over the last year, the moments when we were. Uh, most American um, were the moments that resonated. You know, you look at the Nations League final, you look at the uh, uh, Gold Cup final, and even you look at that game against Mexico in, um, in, uh, in uh, Cincinnati or wherever we played them. That, that those, were, those were big results, but the way those results came about were not because of any type of evolved play necessarily. Um, and, and again, I, I don't think... We don't want to dumb it down, and we do have to progress, and we do have to try different things. And I give, I give Greg Berhalter a lot of credit, you know, because it takes, you know, it, it takes courage um, to be able to do that because it's not going to happen right away. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, to your, to your point, it does, it does warm the cockles of my American uh, heart when I see some of that, especially as an, old, as an, as an older guy. And I think it resonates regardless of, of what generation you are. When you see it, it's something that's, 
that's really, really cool. And it's not, it's not as regressive as people look at it. You know, I, I find beauty in a long, in a beautiful long ball. I find, I can find beauty in a, in a wonderful flicked header, which now we look at and kind of paint as Neanderthal type of playing. And that's not necessarily the case. The set piece type of situations that we uh, talk about. I mean, we can, uh, uh, you know, an incredible counter after absorbing pressure is incredibly difficult to do, but I also find incredible uh, uh, beauty. I mean, one of the greatest goals in American soccer history against uh, against Algeria in the World Cup by Landon Donovan, we went 90 yards from in, what, 11 seconds or something like that and, yeah. and scored a goal. It's not as if, as if we were Barcelona in that moment. You know, I have to say, Chris and Alex, I, I saw that in this team last time. There, there was, I thought there was a lack of fight early uh, in earlier cycles, but they were there. They, they had yep. a cockiness and a swagger and a fight to them that uh, surprised me, quite honestly. And I, you know, it did remind me of the 94 team, sort of a, you know, get stuck in, fight for everything, and, and you're together uh, watching each other's backs. So it's nice. Um, Lex, let me ask you about this whole um, uh, women's team and, and the national and U.S. soccer. Um, it's kind of, it hasn't sat well with a lot of people, just how it all has kind of come down. Um, I had Julie Fatty. We had Julie Fatty on last week, and I always like to agree with her because she's much smarter than I am. Uh, she's <laughs> smarter than all of us. <laughs> I know, man. But I, I, I do take issue with the fact if FIFA awards a certain amount of money for the Women's World Cup or a certain amount of money for the Men's World Cup, that they want to have that equal share of that. I just, I just think that that almost could be a non-starter, but it doesn't seem like uh, that's the way it's going down. I mean, they lost the court case, really, uh, and then so I was surprised that there was a settlement there. Um, you know, but I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, a collective bargaining agreement wasn't adhered to. And so now they're, they're back to, to that square where they're trying to figure that out. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, look, it, it, it's, it, it's such an interesting, you know, and complex and layered and nuanced type of thing. Right. Uh, you know, what you're saying is, is, is absolutely true in maybe a court of law, but this was played out in the court of public opinion and i'll tell you what the women are incredible and i i take my hat off to them because they recognized early and they have been incredible at at cultivating and using and uh and harnessing that power that they have and the goodwill that they have to their advantage and right. th th this settlement comes not because necessarily believe uh, anybody at the federation necessarily believes that they couldn't win in court but the amount of money that they were spending, the time and the resources that were going into this. And there is a, there's a, there is a value to having a working and good uh, relationship with your players. And for a number of years, that hasn't been the case. And I'm not saying that this settlement, you know, it's all kumbaya and everybody, everybody's good, right. but at least you can move forward. And when it comes to sponsors and when it comes to doing long-term type of planning, you need to have that uh, in uh, in motion. And so I, I get why this, uh, this was done. I also get why, you know, some players, you know, we had Carly Lloyd on our show the other, uh, the other day, some people like it. We know Hope Solo has talked about it. Some, and, and so Hope has her own case going forward. Uh, some people may like it. Some people may not like it, but it, I also, there's a part of me that says, even from a player's perspective, it can be incredibly debilitating. And I guess this is a credit to the women that they were still able to be number one in the world and continue to win with all of this going on, because it must be exhausting to day in and day out have to deal with this on a continual basis from both sides. And yeah. that exhaustion takes a toll. And there is a value to 
putting that exhaustion aside and be able to go forward, not just right. for the teams and the individuals involved, but ultimately for the Federation and for soccer to go forward. And I hope that this takes it in a much more positive direction because, as you know, guys, we we got so much stuff to deal with. We can't afford to have obstacles. We can't afford to have right. infighting. We're going to get some of it no matter no matter what. But this is not that's not a way to move quickly and to move forward, which is something that our sport is in dire need of doing. Right, because too many people are willing to take shots at soccer anyway. It's, it's sure. nothing's ever changed. But when the problem I had was it seemed like a lot of facts were misrepresented because most of the people I talked to who didn't know the intricacies of the case would basically not know about you know, the, the 10 million that went to the domestic league, the, the yep. uh, 24 guaranteed contracts, maternity leave, um, you know, like it, it, it and those facts were never stated when people, we, you know, we, soccer was losing the, the public relations, um, you know, case. It was, it was too bad. It was a black guy. And then to, to talk about Carly, it was funny when I was at ESPN, I asked Carly, I said, well, Carly, under those circumstances, would the WNBA make what the NBA makes? And she said, yes. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know where, where you, I don't know where you go with that one, but all right. Uh, you know, so this, I think in, at the end of the day, uh, to, to mirror your point, Lex, it is, a, it's, it's good because it makes it all more copacetic. And I think with soccer, we've always been in this, in this fight together, uh, the men and women. And, and so, uh, you know, but as far as competition, it is apples and oranges too, as well. And it's all contingent, as we said, on the CBAs getting signed. And I think there's, there's a real right. opportunity for the men, by the way, to be involved and to kind of, you know, they, they have at, at times been painted as, you know, the villains at, uh, and a real opportunity for them. If they do find a way to all work and share in what's going on for them to look really, really good in this and to have some real yeah. positive type of uh, publicity out there if it all gets done. And I, I don't think they would have come out publicly had they not believed that this is going to get done down the line. But there's still some negotiation to go when it comes, uh, when it comes to the CBAs uh, that are part. And then you mentioned, you know, the, the, the prize money and what is fair, what isn't fair contractually, right. what are you obligated to, to do, uh, and then what ultimately is going to be decided when it, uh, when it comes to that. So it, it's, not, it's not over, but it's in a much better place than it was, you know, a couple weeks ago. True. Chris? Yeah, Lex, the, you know, when, when we had Julie Foudy on last week, one of the things she mentioned was the concept of just putting the money into the pot and every year splitting it. And, and I understand that the FIFA monies are different, uh, but I also understand that the teams have different levels of success. So there's the commercial success, there's the FIFA money, the federation money, et cetera, et cetera. The current group on the men's side, do you think between the way they're looking at things and, and the representation and sitting down with the CBAs, do you think that they would be in line for something like that where they agreed to all share the monies every year? Is that something that you think could get traction? If it's charity, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, they have to believe that this is what's right for the game and that this is a legacy that they are going to leave that is going to help change the game, the total game uh, for the better. You know, whenever we talk about these things uh, about, you know, and, and part of the argument, the legal argument, and part of the you know the, the problem uh, w was how their jobs were defined, and the and the and the difference between their jobs. And if it is ultimately about representing your country at the at the highest level, and that's the job, then you know we have um, Paralympic teams, we have beach national teams, we have futsal teams. We're adding a deaf uh, national team. And so if you believe that everybody should be treated equally and, 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 uh, and equitably by re for representing your team at the highest level, then all of these teams 
I think also have to be treated uh, the same. And that's, oh, that's opening up a whole other can of worms. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's can the first I've heard of that. So, man. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it, these are not easy things, but, um, you know, these are, you know, these are also very fortunate, uh, people, uh, they're getting great, uh, they're getting great opportunities. And I think ultimately they'll, they'll figure out a way to, uh, to work it out. Like I said, I think, I think the men have a real opportunity if they're, if they're smart about it going forward to kind of position themselves in a way that let's be honest, they have not been positioned over the last uh, years that this has been going on. Right. Right. All right. Good stuff, man. Um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's all, it's all good for soccer and uh, there's money to be made. You know, I think Lex, we got into this game to, to not have to deal with business sometimes, but it's a reality, whether you're doing stand up or playing soccer, it's the way it works. So, um, all right, man. So we got, I got a couple questions for you real quick and then we'll get you out of the CVS parking lot. So you don't okay. get to, uh, uh, for loitering or whatever. Uh, Lexi Lalas, what's your boot size? 13. Uh, now, now keep in mind oh that it's God. 13, it's 13 now. And yet when I played, uh, I was actually wearing size 11 Copas at one time. So right. I don't know if my feet <laughs> have swelled or just gotten bigger. Um, or I just like my shoes, as we know, very, very tight. And you know, that kangaroo right. leather did, did a little stretching and stuff like that. But it is strange how now I get size 13. And back then I was wearing size 11. <laughs> well, I was a nine and I wore a seven and a half. So that's the way it works. Though. There you that's go. Like, um, all right. Uh, second question. Toughest player you ever went up against? So uh, I like Walker Zimmerman and not Fleet of Foot. Um, mm -hmm. I should come to <laughs> surprise yeah. to no one. So <laughs> I actually did better when I came up against bigger players. Like, you know, I never yeah. Carlos Hermosilla from Mexico or Gabriel Batistuta, these, you know, these bigger types of players. That wasn't a problem for me. The guys that gave me problems were the small uh, guys that were that had low center of gravity that were able to shift their weight and their balance really quickly like a Gianfranco Zola so that I mean I got burned Zola. bad wow. by Gianfranco Zola playing over in Italy that was a very difficult thing for me to do and the other guy would have been a Romario and both of those guys that should come as no surprise are really really good at shifting their weight and getting a big guy like me off balance very quickly I always laugh about uh, an interview you did on ESPN after you played I think Asperia from uh from Columbia. Yep. You guys had it out and they asked you what, what was said. And he said, uh, you go, uh, he said something to me in Spanish. So I answered him in Spanish and then he said something in Italian and I said something in Italian back to him. And, <laughs> and then, then he said something else in a language. I don't know. And I said something back in Greek. And I thought, oh my God, that's hysterical. We were hysterical. going through it all. Yeah. Yeah. We're going through the whole, the whole language uh, thing there. So uh, it was one of my uh, favorite moments. All right. Uh, best player you ever played with. Tab Ramos. Uh, he was a man out yeah. of time. Um, I wish in a certain way we would have seen what he could have been had he been born 20 years later. And especially with all of the opportunities, uh, the things that he could do, his, his balance, his control of the ball, all of that kind of stuff was just absolutely incredible. And he was that little type of player that probably frustrated the shit out of you at practice too, I would imagine. Oh, yes, it was... Yeah, it was very difficult. It's funny. All the national team players talk about him that way. They, they yeah. really do. Yeah, man among boys. I mean, the, I think the reverence is warranted. All right. Late, last book you've read. Oh, jeez. Um, does Audible count? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> in L.A.? In L.A., you have no choice. That's all you do is drive around in a car. Yeah. Uh, You've got um, you to read David Grohl's book. I was thinking of you. Uh, I was listening to that one on tape um, from uh, Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl's book. So. Oh, I haven't read it. Is any good? 
Yeah, it's really good. It's just, he's very humble and sweet and just his whole journey. It kind of reminded me of like, you know, when we're, we're young, we'd do anything to get a game to play, to go anywhere, to play older guys, to do whatever. He does that basically through rock and roll. And just his attitude, the places he winds up, you know, playing for Iggy Pop, just just happens to walk by him in the street. He goes, you played the drums? Come on in here. And he's like, what? And, you know, he suddenly just, he's like, you know, where's Walter? Just kept turning up at all these places, but really great stories. So, uh, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah I, I like, uh, like true crime type of stuff, really kind of uh, morbid uh, things. So I'm listening to a bunch of stuff like there. I won't, I won't bore you with the details, but yeah, I'm into that. Well, I like Michael Collins. He, he writes great stuff about LA too. So, Oh yeah. Um, all right. Currently, what are you streaming that you watch at night with your wife? Um, oh goodness. What are I, what's the latest one that I watched? Um, well, I just finished the Kanye documentary. Um, and I can't yeah. tell you a single song that Kanye sings, uh, but I loved it. I thought it was incredible. So uh, I'm a fan of his movie work as opposed to necessarily his musical output. I got to check that out. I checked out Muscle Shoals, which is really good. Oh, the, I love that one. Yeah. The, the Go-Go's documentary I thought was great, too. Um, that's you're a little you're a little too young for that one. That was they were big in college. I had a crush on all of them. So oh, who, who does it? Belinda's I awesome. Know. She is beautiful. So, uh, all right, brother, man. Well, I appreciate it so much. You're a busy boy. And, uh, and I appreciate you jumping on the podcast, uh, letting our eight listeners hear what you have to say uh, on all my <laughs> friends. We, well, we, <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure as always. So anytime, my friend. All right, Lex. Uh, Lexi Lawless, everybody. Thanks a lot, pal. Be well. All right. We'll see, see you during the, the, see you, the qualifying. All right. See you guys. Oh, it was great talking to Lex. Chris, I kind of sprung that on you. I thought of a couple of questions uh, just, just before we got on air. I should have told you. You probably had a couple of questions you wanted to ask as well. I like that stuff. I'm going to ask him what book he's reading, what music. He's a big music guy. So, Yeah, I love hearing about uh, like the players, you know, the players that he went against or the players that he played with and just getting a different perspective because we all know the names that he mentions, but right. to hear how, like, to hear Zola giving him hard times, that makes sense, you know. And, and, and look, there's part of it's the classic big central defender having a hard time against the, the shorter, shifty guy, right? But to actually hear him put names to it, I think that's always fun for us as fans to hear that. Well, Zola's, Zola's probably made a lot of people look stupid. And uh, Ben Zola's probably telling a story about when he had to go up for a head ball against Lexi Lawless. So, so that was, you know, it was all good. Yeah, Romario. Yeah, Romario's, uh, there's legendary stories about him where, you know, he'll, he'll train and then he'll go under the bleachers and have a cigarette and he'll come back out and train again and do all these kinds of things and still score goals every day. Yeah. I'm old enough to like, I know a bunch of the guys that I played with because I would get pulled into uh, the cosmos, you know, when they were training and I was 18, 19 years old and I got Naskins there and Bogisevich and Roberto, all these guys, Roberto Carlos, just legends. And these guys could walk around in the streets of the town and no one would bother them. No one knew who they were and they loved it. You know, but then I had some pictures with people. I told a story about, you know, Pele. I met Pele, got to knock it back and forth with Pele, took a picture with me and I bring it back home and I showed my friends, I go, uh, you know, I'm from this lily white Republican town and I show the picture. My one friend's like, who's the black guy? I'm like, who's the black guy? That's Pele. My God. Oh my The greatest player ever. So yeah, um, for years, these, uh, these international soccer stars used to, and it's less now, but for years they'd come to the U S on holiday. You know, because they could walk the streets and, and most people wouldn't know them. But nowadays, yeah, you know, you still kind of, yeah, it's, it's like Mourinho always brings his teams to L.A. for preseason. 
because he loves to be able to have he and the players walk the streets for generally being left alone, specifically in LA, because you leave the celebrities alone in LA. So right. he, he always brings his teams here for those reasons. Fascinating. So good stuff. All right. Well, uh, I think that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. Uh, we uh, want to thank Lexi Lawless. Appreciate it. Uh, State of the Union is his podcast, and um, he does a good job. I, I like Lexi. And, and, you know, I was going to tell him he's kind of the Howard Cosell of, of uh, soccer here <laughs> for broadcasters because, you like you, we talked about people go at him, man, and he just kind of keeps, stays above all the fray. And, uh, and I love it. It's a, it's a tough way to be, but it, it works in everyone's favor. So, um, all right, good stuff. That's all the time we have today on Over the Ball, folks. For Chris Shamides, I'm Kevin Flynn. Thanks to Lexi Lawless. We'll talk to you next time on OTB. 